You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The psalm starts with, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn is exalted in honour. The wicked man sees it and is angry, he gnashes his teeth and melts away, the desire of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lee. Now imagine you're walking down a a crowded street. You remember remember those ancient times, right? And somebody comes up to you and asks, if you believe in God and you say yes, and they respond, what does life with God look like? And it sounds like a simple question, right? I mean, on the spot, what are some of our likely answers? You know, maybe praying to God daily, reading the Bible, loving others, obeying his commands. And I mean, these are true answers, probably the the first answers we'd say when put on the spot like that, with a question like that. But if we sat down and really thought about the question, think deeply, reflect on our own life, contemplate what the question is asking, what does life with God actually look like? I will see it's kind of a broad enough question to have many answers, but also uh, specific enough to make us wonder, one, are my answers true to life with God? Are my answers actually true to it? And two, am I actually living this out? And it's a tough question now that we think of, right? Like when we think about that question, it's kind of tough. One that will and should cause us to think deeply about our own lives, you know, reflect on what our life with God actually looks like. Might cause us to ponder if there's a a clear-cut description of what it should require. And so, as Luke was saying before, we're beginning our series in Psalms this week. And what I love about the Psalms is that they're almost like a magnifying glass searching the deepest of our souls. You know, we read about the inmost joys, the fears, pains from those singing out these Psalms. You know, one writer, Jim George, says, if you need a guide for your ongoing relationship with God, read Psalms. You know, with such a raw, relational, valuable and powerful book such as Psalms, I believe we can look in here when asked, what does life with God look like? 
you know, there are quite a few, uh, of, there are quite a few Psalms that would give us a clearer picture to this question. And for us today, I want us to take us to Psalm 112, which is the second act of its preceding Psalm, Psalm 111. So these are two Psalms that express the worship, the reverence, the, the wisdom, the fruitfulness of the God Yahweh and, and a life with him, uh, a celebration of God's mighty deeds in a sense. See, while Psalm 111 concerns God, his wonder, his majesty, and his might, the psalm we're in today, 112, actually describes the instruction and proper response of God's people to who he is and what he's done. You know, Charles Spurgeon uh, describes it, while the first declares the glory of God, as in Psalm 111, the second, this psalm, Psalm 112, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness in men born from above. See, Psalm 112 is our response to such a wondrous God. How we're to live as Christians, our life with God. And so as we dig into this psalm, as it tells us what life with God looks like, uh, we begin with verse 1 and we read that life with God means we are God-fearers. So again, verse 1, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. See, fear has uh, taken a different uh, meaning for many of us today. We think of the, the yelling, screaming, runaway fear, you know, fear for your safety of your life kind of fear. But um, there is indeed that type of fear in the Bible and Psalms, you know, awaiting those who do not believe. Uh, but to the believer, the people of God, this fear is one of respect and, and awe. You know, one writer says, the fear of God in which godliness consists is the fear which constrains adoration and love. It is the fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship, and all of these on the highest level of exercise. It is the reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. That's quite a mouthful for what fear is here. Blessed be the one who fears the Lord. See, to the believer, there is a confidence and assurance that they believe in the God who has redeemed them. They believe in the God who is with them, who is for them. You know, the believer knows they were raised from nothing, worthy of nothing, deserving of nothing. Yet the believer knows of the almighty God who has created him and her and everything. The loving God who calls his believer his chosen and his children. The gracious God who redeems his people all throughout. To the believer, we all we can do is fear the Lord. Come to him in reverence, in awe, in worship. See, life with God means we are God-fearers, every day admiring the giver of life, daily honouring our everlasting Father. Each waking moment of our lives are lived as worshippers of the King of Kings. And how does this look practically, you might ask? So the psalmist tells us to fear the Lord means to delight in God's commandments. Now, while I lived in um, um, Canada for a bit, family and friends love to do this Kris Kringle thing during Christmas, right? And I don't know if you might do this at home here in Australia. Maybe people do it here in Australia. But the way they'll do it over there in Canada every year is they'll all go to a website. They put in an item in their wish list of what they'd like. Then you get assigned to that person and you buy that item for them. I'm going to tell you, I didn't like that. Because when it came to opening gifts, like the opening time when you're all together as a family and friends, you're unwrapping the gift and people are like, oh, wow, you got me the book set I told you to get without a choice. You know, like shock Pikachu face meme, right? There's no effort, no thought in finding a gift for the person. 
it was hard to be enthusiastic in, fi- in finding them a gift or having any sort of joy thinking about what they might like. It felt like more of a duty than delight. It's like, oh, I guess he chose this. I'm just going to buy this for him. Happy, happy Christmas. You know, for many of us, our faith might feel that way most of the time, which is why I love that the psalmist here uses this word delight when referring to being God-fearers. See, we read it and might think of an amusement, like you might think of how you delight in that piece of chocolate, or for some of us, that whole block of chocolate, right? But like some sort of self-indulgence. But this delight is a real joy, an honest enthusiasm, like one wakes up looking forward to it. See, the God-fearer looks forward to obeying the words of the Lord. How crazy is that? He looks forward to obeying the words of the Lord. They, they find joy, enthusiasm in living in obedience to the commands of God. And these commands aren't just the, the formal laws and commandments that we read about, like some sort of legalistic relationship with God. But his commands here relates to all of God's instruction, who he is, that the one who truly reveres, respects, worships God himself is overjoyed to live in complete obedience to him. Gladly, enthusiastically, look forward to to follow the counsel of God's word in their life. See, no matter the day, the circumstance or situation, this isn't some sort of, you know, theoretical or or mere feelings of delight. This is tangible. It's real. The God-fearer this psalm praises is the one who not only reads God's commands or knows it or says it, But the one who truly delights is the one who zealously lives it. One who's in such awe and reverence to God, to the God who created and redeemed them, that the only thing that makes sense and brings real joy each day is to live gladly following the Lord's counsel. See, the one who delights in God's commands is the one who submits and lives in obedience to it. And that makes sense for us. Like if somebody told you that they delight in God's commands, but they didn't obey them, it it would be weird, right? Just the same if somebody obeyed God's commands, yet found no delight in it, that would just be as weird too. But while that might sound strange to us, I think in reality, it's all our daily struggle. We can all think of moments in our lives where we'd say we, we delight in his commands, yet our actions and lifestyle say otherwise. Or just the same, we can live in obedience, following the commands of God, yet doing so with no delight, but out of duty. And I think we can so easily struggle with this because we're challenged each day to fear the Lord. You know, we're in a bubble wrap society where we want things our way. We want the grace, the mercy, like we almost deserve it, but we don't want the obedience if it's too hard. We don't fear the Lord because we put him in a nicely shaped box that we made. And we have a picture of that that buddy-buddy God, you know, that Jesus that has his thumbs up smiling and winking. But we steer clear of the God who says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am holy, as read in Leviticus. Or we might say, we delight in this, we delight in his commands, but do it begrudgingly. We tell our friends, family that that we're joyful in the Lord, yet we secretly live in sin with no conviction. You know, a life with God means we fear him above all things. The question is, is he the Lord of your life? 
And the beautiful thing is that by the blood of Jesus, a life with God means as Christians, we can be confident that God has graciously removed our sin. We need not live in, uh, in fear of sin and terror and judgment, but we live in fear of the Lord, in awe and worship of the God who has redeemed us from our sins. You know, daily fear the Lord because of what he's done for you. You know, our response is one that delights in his word, as in the Bible, his word, his commands. Life with God means our fear of the Lord and obedience to the Lord go hand in hand. You know, theologian John Murray says, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. That is, the fear of God is the animating and invigorating principle of a godly life. It is the wellspring of all godly desires and aspirations. Do you desire to be a godly person? then you must understand and grow in the fear of God. So one, life with God means we are God-fearers. Second, as we keep reading on the passage, a life with God is one of righteousness. So look at verse 2 to 4. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. Now, I'm going to be honest. These three verses, initially reading these verses, made my eyes <laughs> eyes twitch a bit. I almost, want, I almost wanted to avoid it, but that wouldn't be doing the passage justice. Why I react to this passage in such a way is because verse 3. Verse 3 is a very well-known passage used in what we call the uh, prosperity gospel. People have read this and understood it to mean that the greater one's faith is, the more wealth and riches one will receive. You know, the righteous will receive prosperity and wealth, the promise of material wealth and good fortune. And the prosperity gospel eats up this verse. Like there's, no, no joke, there's an actual best-selling book called The Psalm 112 Promise, Eight Keys to Becoming Stable and Prosperous. Now, we just started a men's book club if somebody puts that in the polls, probably don't vote for it, guys. But I think this is uh, extremely dangerous. You know, we look around, not just our own circles, but further out, and we see exceptionally faithful people who live in poverty, who live in disadvantage. Perhaps we've been hurt ourselves with this false promise of the prosperity gospel. And so how do we read this passage then? Well, then reading this psalm, we have to take in consideration when it was written and who it was addressing. I believe that this psalm is, is a promise to the, to the nation of Israel, God's covenant people. You know, well-known theologian again, Charles Spurgeon, says on this verse, understood literally, this is rather a promise of the old covenant than of the new. Now, don't get me wrong, there is a lot similar with us as a church and the chosen nation of Israel. You know, God's means of salvation, grace through faith, has always been the same. But reading his word, we'll see God's promises to Israel and those with us, the bride of Christ. Uh, there, there are differences. Like here, I believe the psalmist reminds the covenant people of Israel of God's promise and intent to keep that promise to them. The promise of, of bringing them to the promised land, a place of great prosperity, land, sea, water, you know, a real blessing to them. But while different, I think it still relates to those of the new covenant, us in quite a beautiful way, really. 
you know, as those living on the side of, of Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, uh, us, death, life and resurrection, as people of the new covenant, we too have our promised land. Uh, our life after this, a life eternal uh, within the presence of our Lord, you know, our everlasting house, our forever home. And we see the psalmist thinking of something far more than just material wealth and riches. See, the second half of verse 3 is linked. It says, and his righteousness endures forever. See, there is a righteousness that endures forever. You know, while the word forever likely points to maybe the family line for those in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, for those of the New Covenant, this righteousness that endures forever is the one of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who lived the righteous life that nobody could, yet took the punishment for the unrighteous, that the unrighteous would have Christ's righteousness, the word is imputed, uh, you know, which is like attributed to those who put their faith in him. As it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, and be found in him, as in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. For us who believe in Jesus as our Lord, God ascribes the perfect righteousness of Jesus to our account so that we become perfect in his sight. That's the true wealth of those of the new covenant, right? That we've been redeemed by a gracious saviour in Jesus, that we've had his righteousness, Jesus's righteousness imputed to us, which means both we and our righteousness endures forever. In his presence, in eternity, our eternal house, our true home, is this not a wealth that is greater than any other worth pursuing? You know, for those saved by Jesus, it's our most valuable possession. What we have through Christ and what we are in Christ. People of righteousness. And this has practical implications. We see in verse 4 where it says, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful and righteous. See, life with God is one of righteousness. Counter to what the prosperity gospel might say, the psalm here tells the faithful believer actually that there will be dark times to the faithful person. There will be times of trouble, yet the righteous need not fear the dark. The righteous have a light amidst the times of adversity. They have the fear of the Lord. They have his word which brings delight. They have the assurance of Christ's righteousness imputed to them one that endures forever, that they may live in a manner that is gracious, merciful, righteous. You know, just as the parallel verse 4 in Psalm 111, the, the psalm just before this, the parallel verse, verse 4, says that the Lord is gracious and merciful. Here, it reminds us that we live righteously, not to point or reflect our own righteousness, but to the one given to us in Christ Jesus. For those who have been redeemed by Christ, we are found our most valuable possession. We live in righteousness in this world that others may see the light in the dark and come to know the true righteous one, the greatest of wealth and riches, Jesus. That they too may come to know a life with God, a God-fearing life, a righteous life. And as the passage continues, a serving life. Let's look at verse 5 and verse 9. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. 
And down at verse 9, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. See, while Psalm 112 starts off with what life with God looks like for us, for the individual, that they, they fear God, you know, delight in his word, the, the vertical, as you'd say, man and God, and what life looks like. like. Then the psalm reveals how, how eventually moves on and reveals how the individual lives, the individual lives in righteousness, a sort of a vertical between man and God, but also a bridge, a bridge into the horizontal man between man. Because what living in righteousness does is, is people see it. It involves other people. It's not merely what a righteous person says that people notice. Uh, it's what they do. A truly righteous one, the truly righteous one, sorry, Jesus didn't only say things, but he lived it out. He lived out that perfect, that gracious, that merciful, righteous life according to God's word that we could not. And so for us, people who live in the righteousness of Christ, we are to live it. Gracious, merciful, deals generously and lends, conducts affairs with justice, distributed freely, giving to the poor. See, life with God is one that is serving. The faithful believer is to be gracious and merciful, righteous. These are things that must involve others. See, we've been given great wealth and riches, which is the treasure of Jesus Christ. And we're stewards of this treasure. That means that there's a responsibility with this. The light received from God shines through the righteous one. And our responsibility is to shine this light, display it by living for others. We're meeting the needs of others with generosity, mercy, compassion, graciousness. See, the psalmist paints a picture of not hoarders, you know, storing up wealth and treasures for self-reward or self-righteousness. Something which has unfortunately been spun. Um, by, by a lot of movements out there, but rather the, the opposite, I believe the psalmist shows here. As God-fearers, as righteous people, we serve, we give, we be compassionate. Share to others the riches and wealth you know that is the treasure of Jesus Christ, that they too may see the light in the darkness. Now we think about what's valuable today, not just material things or money, but so much more. We give generously to to that mission that brings the gospel to a needing world. We serve that person by helping them out with the thing that they can't do without assistance. We show compassion to the one who is obviously hurting and needs an ear. Give, Give your time to that family on the outskirts who feels disconnected. Show commitment to your child as you set aside your preferences for theirs. See, when our life with God involves serving others, when we display the righteousness not of our own, but of the one who out of his grace lived it for us. Our hope is that they see, the people we're serving, that they see that same light in the dark and they will hold fast onto the treasure that is Jesus Christ. The greatest blessing we could be to another person is to reflect the heart of Christ to them. See, as verse 9 reminds us that there is a righteousness that endures forever Not good deeds done for the sake of charity or self-esteem building. Not a generosity that stems from our own ego. Not not a compassion that's rooted in our view and experience of love. But a righteousness that is deep-rooted in the grace, the mercy, the generosity, the compassion, and the righteousness of Jesus. And I I think of somebody like uh, Rosario Butterfield, you know, a well-known Christian writer and speaker whom I've talked about uh, at Cedar Hill before and an example before as well. But I'm reminded of her life 
opposing God. Um, and she was impacted by a couple who would daily show her mercy, grace, generosity, compassion when she least expected it. They served her, but not for their own purposes, but that Rosario would see the beauty, the relevance, the truth of Jesus in her life and know him as Lord. See, this is a righteousness that endures forever. A life with God is serving others that they may see and know who the Saviour who served us in the greatest way possible. You know, this righteous living echoes into eternity, not just for you, but the one being served. You know, your serving could very well leave a footprint in their eternity. What a beautiful and impactful thing to be a part of. So impactful, actually, that the, the psalmist warns us uh, that there will be opposers. So we look at verse 10. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. See, the world will be angry. This life with God doesn't sit right to the unbeliever. Uh, it, it's countercultural all throughout history. It's against everything a broken world stands for which the, the broken world says, stands for and says what? It says that the world today says, fear no one. It says, delight in your desires. The world says, righteousness is what you make of it. Uh, the world says, selfishness is better than servanthood. And in verse 4 says, there is a darkness and opponents will come at those who live a life with God. Which leads me to our, our last and final point. That our life with God is one that's secure. Let's look at verse 6 to 8. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumphs in, on his adversaries. See, this psalm reminds us that yes, there will be times of darkness. Yes, there will be opponents. Yes, there will be bad news. Yes, there will be times of adversity. Yes, there will be times that bring us fear. But a life with God is one that's secure. The righteous can be immovable because our heart is firm, is steady, trusting in the Lord. The darkness, the bad news doesn't have the final say. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful, as it says in Hebrews 10. So we think of, in the Bible, we think of Joseph in Genesis in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Hannah giving up her son Samuel for the work of the Lord. Job's misery as he lost pretty much everything you could imagine. Paul's persecution everywhere he went. Yet these faithful people, they remain immovable. Their heart is firm. They know the light that dawns in the darkness. There's a hope that awaits their present situation. See, Jesus, the Son of God, experienced the worst day possible anyone could endure. Not just a bad day, but the worst day. You know, cast down in the dirt, spat on, stripped, mocked, tortured, crucified by the very ones he came to save. Yet with the cross waiting for him, he remained trusting in the Father, trusting in the Lord. Jesus remained obedient to the will of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was a man who clearly feared the Lord. 
he was a man who was truly righteous. He was serving. He was secure in the will of the Father. See, Jesus trusted that he'd overcome the anguish of the cross with the triumph of the open tomb. So we not we need not fear the bad news because we've already received the good news. You know, as it says in verse 9 uh, of the connecting psalm in Psalm 111, it says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so worthy of our worship. Lord, we come to you today and we read a psalm that tells us of a life with you. That we are to be God-fearers, Lord. Let's be reminded to delight in your words and your commands. That we wake up yearning and desiring to live for you. Because we're reminded each and every day of what you've done for us. Out of your love, your mercy, your grace, your compassion. Through Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. Lord, we're reminded of his righteousness attributed to us, imputed to us, that we may live in righteousness to point people to you, to point people to the light in the darkness that is Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, we do that through our serving, Lord. May we live for others, not thinking about being people who hoard treasures, but let us share the treasure of Jesus as good stewards, that people may know this and come to know him as their Lord and become God-fearers too. And Lord, in this time when things are just a mess all around us, Father, a life with you means we are secure. Thank you for the security of eternity with you. You are a faithful God. You fulfill your promises. and You have promised us life with you as we put our faith in you as our Lord and Saviour. And we thank you so much. And we pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.